we could we could end the service right now. That could be our our message. That spoke to all our hearts. I know, Heavenly Father, Father, each one of us are weary at certain points in our life as we travel on. But Father, help us to fix our eyes upon your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Author and Finisher of our faith. And as we look to Him, we realize that we are not alone. And he will carry us all the way home. So, Father, give us strength to carry on. Bless your word now as we open it and speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 1 John. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing our series here in this tremendous letter to the churches. As you look around, oh man, the past few days, it, it's like uh, spring has sprung. It's, the weather's been incredible. You're seeing flowers come out. I can't believe I'm seeing patches of grass that I need to cut already. It's just, you know, these all of a sudden it's crabgrass goes up and, and there's a little pot here, here, and I need to give them a haircut. But, uh, but you see it all growing and we see... And what a joy it is to see spring and, and to see things that were seen to be dead, but now begin to grow. And uh, spring should remind us of our spiritual life. Because the moment we are saved, uh, we become a child of God, but we become a babe in Christ. As the Apostle Paul spoke to the churches many times, the new believers, the ones who are just, just get, you know, starting, they're, they're, they have to drink milk instead of eat meat concerning the word of God. And John here, the Apostle John, in this uh, uh, section, and we're just looking at the three verses here, verses 12, 13, and 14. Uh, the Apostle John is going to be referring to the church in different stages of their spiritual growth of those believers in the church. Okay, and we'll see this pointed out as we look at it here. But look with me as we begin at verse 12, 1 John 2, verse 12. Now John writes this, and by the way, the letter, throughout the letter, John is going to be exhorting the, the saints. He's going to be warning the saints, you know, and, and so, but this is a time, these few verses where he's going to stop, like, after what he's been sharing, and now he, he really wants to encourage the saints who are, are perhaps at different levels in the spiritual walk. Verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. John writes, I'm forgiving you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now notice the, the word because, he puts that in there. Because, that word in the Greek, or 
and if we want to try and define it in, in our English language, means for the reason that or since, okay, because of this. So really, so we've got three becauses that John uses. He says it three different times. He says, he's going to be saying, I am writing to you, little children, because, and then he will share a truth. So he's basically letting the church know why he's writing this letter. He's saying, you want to know why I'm writing this letter to you? It's because of this. It's because of this. It's because of this. And so I want you to see the becauses of John here that may encourage your heart. Now, here the first one he says, I am writing to you, and he calls them little children. That's the term he uses. Now, there's, there's been debate by Bible scholars as to what John is trying to say or who he's speaking to when he uses the phrase little children. As you recall, the Apostle Paul, in his writings, um, he would refer to uh, the new Christian, the new converts, as babes in Christ, you know, and, and, and ju just the newborns in Christ. And so some tend to think that what John is going to be uh, saying here and who he's speaking to is uh, literally the ages of people in the church. Okay, we're going to see the, the various uh, uh, groups, but here is, would be the, the youngest group. But I tend to agree with the Bible scholars that, that understand this verse as meaning the entire whole church as a whole, everybody. So when John is referring, is using the term little children... He is, he is really speaking to all the believers. You know, he's an elderly saint, and he's seen many of them come to Christ. He's led many to Christ, but he's, he's basically putting them all together and, and referring to the church uh, family as little children. How do we know this? How would, how would we uh, lean toward, towards understanding it in a spiritual sense? Not a, a literal physical sense that he's talking to little children in the church. But this is a metaphor, we believe. A metaphor concerning um, the, children, the, 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 the people in the church. But look back at verse 1. Just go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. What does John say there when he opened the, chapter 2? He says, my what? Little children. I am writing these things to you that, okay, you may not sin. So, so he's basically picking up where he left off back there, verse 2. But notice when he says, my little children, who, who's he talking to? He's talking to all the believers who are reading this or hearing it read. So, and, and there are other portions of, uh, in, the, uh, in the letters of John where he uses the same term, little children, okay? So I just want you to understand that this is speaking to all of us this morning, not just a certain category of, of, of where we are spiritually in our, in our growth. But the scriptures teach us that, that 
Every believer uh, needs to continue to grow. Our journey, as we heard sung, that journey is a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual one, and we are either growing or sometimes we just slow down and, and almost stop growing at times. Do you ever notice that? Where uh, you're going along in life and, and, and you just feel excited about the Lord and about your, what he's doing in your life, and you've been in his word and you've been before him in his presence, and, and you just feel so close to the Lord. But then as time goes on, all of a sudden you feel yourself drifting. Maybe you don't even feel yourself drifting, but you do. And what we do is we drift away and suddenly we were growing, but all of a sudden we came to a point where we just stopped. We just stopped growing. And, 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 and then we, we come to a point later where we realize, Lord, I've drifted away from you. And then, then what we do is we, we, we come back, we confess, Lord, that, that I have not been abiding in you. I've not been reading your word. I've, I've, I haven't made you uh, center of my life. And, and Lord, I want to start growing again. And then we do. I'm sure some of you know about the Chinese bamboo tree. Maybe you've heard of this before. But the Chinese bamboo tree guess what, does absolutely nothing, or it seems it's doing nothing for the first four years it's planted. The first four years, if you're going to grow a Chinese bamboo tree, you're going to have to sit there and watch and see nothing for four years. But then suddenly, during the fifth year, it shoots up 90 feet in 60 days. Can you imagine that? So go down to the, your gardener nursery and see if you can find a, one of those trees. You, you know, you have to wait a few years, but then suddenly, can you believe that? God made this tree in such a way that suddenly it shoots up in the fifth year, and in 60 days, it's nine, 90 feet tall. That, that's impossible. But that's, that's kind of what happens sometimes in our Christian life. We go along, and there it is. Thank you, Greg. There is... Fantastic. I wasn't ready for that. But there's the bamboo tree. Look how tall that thing is. So basically, you couldn't see any of that for four years. But then the fifth year, bang, 60 days, there it is. That's what you'll see. We are like that sometimes. We, we are stagnant in our faith, in our walk with the Lord. Are we not? And then all of a sudden, we come back to the Lord and, and we get watered in the word. Watered in his presence. And suddenly we can feel that growth. And suddenly we, we, we get vibrant again and, and filled with, with that passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and our walk. So, but John wants to encourage those, uh, all the believers here, with this one truth. The first truth he presents. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because of this. Your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Wow. There just if you were to pick one truth to encourage another believer, what truth would you pull out of God's word? What truth would we use to encourage them? John felt it necessary to encourage 
the family of God with that truth from the beginning that when you come to Christ, realize and remember your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Here, uh, John is, is speaking of, 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 of our sins, and he knows that that is an issue for every believer. This first truth, because uh, he's writing because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He knows that they are in Christ, but he wants to express this, uh, this uh, amazing doctrine that, that my sins are forgiven. Perhaps today you came full of guilt. Maybe Satan has been working on your mind and your heart, and, and you're thinking of things you did in the past that dishonored the Lord. You, you think of past sins. Or maybe they're, they're recent sins. And Satan just wants you to, and you've confessed those sins. But Satan wants to just bombard your mind with, God's not going to forgive you. Has God really said he's going to forgive you? You know, that same voice that, that was in the Garden of Eden, as he said to Adam and Eve, have God said? Basically, that may enter your mind even now, this week. You, uh, this past week, you've been battling with that. Has, has God really forgiven me? Because I don't feel forgiven. Maybe you don't feel forgiven. John wants you and I and all believers to know and hold on to this truth that no matter what happens, your sins, my sins, are forgiven past, present, and future. All because of that. All because of him. All because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross for us. Because he paid it all. Jesus paid, you know that hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You know, back in uh, verse 1 there, if you look at again, back in verse 1, what does John say concerning after sin? He speaks of sin. He says, I'm writing these things that you, you may not sin. All right. So try and have victory over sin. But if you do sin, what does he say at the end of verse one? We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation or satisfaction to God for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also for those of the whole world. And so John is basically picking up on that again. We have an advocate and who it is. And that's why when he writes here in verse 12, he writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just stop there. Your sins are forgiven, period. What does he add on to that? For his name's sake. Who's that? Jesus Christ. For his name's sake. I am forgiven not because of what I have done. I am not forgiven because of my good works. No, I am forgiven because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. And if there's one truth to hold on to and go into the scriptures and grasp, it's that 
your sins are forgiven. That's what John wants all of us to hold on to this week. So when Satan comes and tries to tear you down and say, boy, you're a lousy Christian. Boy, you, you just, God's not pleased with you. And, and we, we've all been there. And we just feel so unworthy to be forgiven. But John says, remember, Jesus paid it all. I want to see you to, you to see a, a picture of forgiveness in Genesis chapter 33. Go to Genesis 33 with me. Now, there's one story, of course, we could have gone to concerning forgiveness, and that would be in Genesis, would be the story of Joseph. But uh, we all know that one very well. So I, I decided to pick a different story of forgiveness, another account. And this one we find here in Genesis chapter 33, verse 1. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. As you remember the account, before we read it, Jacob was favored by his mom. Remember that? They were born, they were twins. Esau came out first, right? But Jacob, was, as, a, as a newborn baby, was holding on to his, his foot as he came out. But they were twins, but Esau received the birthright because he was the first twin out of the womb. And so, uh, you know, he was going to get all the rights and the name and the prestige, everything that comes with that birthright. And Jacob knew that he was, he was second. He wasn't going to get what Esau did. And, of course, we know the whole situation that Esau got hungry one day and and, and he met with, came home and saw Jacob. Jacob was making some stew. And, and you know, Esau wanted some. And, and Jacob tricked him into saying, well, listen, I'll give you some of this if you give me your birthright. Just, you know, let me have it. And Esau just didn't bother thinking. He was so fleshly minded that he says, okay, yeah, sure. Give me, I'll give you that and I'll take, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the stew. And what happened was later on Esau gets angry because of, of, of this incident that, that Jacob the, actually, the way he tricked him. And so Esau had this anger and hatred. He basically wanted to kill his brother. And so Jacob had to flee, so he runs. But there's a point in time where Jacob, he has left Canaan the land of Canaan. But now God says, Jacob, I want you to go back. That's where I want you, back home. And so he takes his family. He's got family and children. And he heads back home. But he knows his brother is there somewhere. And he figures he's waiting to kill him. And he figures, I deserve it. So that's where we are, okay? Picking it up at verse 1. Genesis 33, verse 1. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself... So he, he basically spread out his family so that Esau could see he's got family now, you know. And then what does he do? Verse 3, 
And he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He felt ashamed of his sin that he'd done against Esau. What does Esau do? He takes out his sword and he's about to... No. Verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Here is the most beautiful picture of forgiveness. That this man who had harbored this anger towards his brother, almost hatred, but yet there came a place where he, he chose to forgive. Remember, forgiveness is a choice. And what a beautiful picture this is of God the Father. God the Father chose to forgive you and forgive me by sending his only begotten son to die in our place. If I hold on to that picture and I hold on to this, I understand that that I can walk knowing that as I confess sin, I'm forgiven. Now, if I sin and I, and I don't confess my sin, there are consequences. Even if I confess my sin, God allows consequences for sin in this life. It's going to happen. For we as believers, there's always consequences for sin. Even though we're forgiven, there are consequences here on earth. But my sin will not keep me out of heaven. And so I can hold on to that and grasp that wonderful truth. And so we see the first because. Dear friend, if you're battling that guilt and, and dealing with that sin, remember that you are forgiven for Christ's sake. So if you'll go back to 1 John with me, let's move on. And now we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. 1 John 2, for, and we're back at... Verses 13 and 14. Now, what we're going to do is that we're going to break up these two verses. Okay? So we're going to read the first part of verse 13 and then the first part of verse 14. Okay? So we're not going to finish it because the two, next, the two groups that John is going to be referring to, and we're talking about spiritual growth and maturity, not physical Okay, so the first group, let's, let's read the beginning of 13 and then 14. Now he says, I am writing to you fathers. He calls them fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. And then look at, drop down now to verse 14 because he says exactly the same thing. I have written to you fathers. Because you know him who has been from the beginning. You see, John is trying to really emphasize this. And the, the word fathers here, we believe he's referring to the spiritual ones in the church. The ones who have walked with the Lord a long time. The, the saints that have known the Lord for, for many years. And maybe, maybe not many years, but they've grown rapidly in the Lord. And they are, they are spiritually mature. So what does he say to the spiritually mature in the church? Here. 
He says, I'm writing to you now, fathers, because of this, because you know him who has been from the beginning. You know him. Now, I want you to just look, okay, that phrase, know him. We all know him, right, as believers. We all know uh, God because we, are, we have trusted Christ. Look at the end of verse 13, the very end of verse 13. He tucks in there, in between, he speaks about children again. He uses the word children again. I have written to you children because you know the Father. Notice that? I've written to you children because you know the Father. Now, there again, he's using that word children. He is speaking, which we believe or understand, that he's speaking to the entire congregation, okay? He's saying, I'm writing all this to you because you all know God. You came to know God the Father through Jesus Christ. So that's the beginning part. I've come to know the Father when I accepted Christ and believed the gospel. Okay, but I want you to notice the difference of what John is saying there in the end of verse 13. He's saying, I've written to you, children, because you know the father, period. Okay, we all know the father. So what's the difference between the children knowing the father, heavenly father? And then now in the beginning of verse 13 and verse 14, he's saying, I've written to you fathers because you know him. Well, why, why would he say the same thing that they, you know, the whole church knows him. But then he specifically picks out the mature ones in, 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 in the church and says, you know him. Well, there's a difference. And that difference is found in verse 14. Go on after he doesn't just end with, I have written to you fathers because you know him, like he did in the verse earlier where he says, children, I'm writing this because you know the father. He says, because you know who? Him, capital H. Notice John doesn't use the title father, speaking of God the father in verse 14. He just uses the term him. You know him who has been what? From the beginning. You know him who has been from the beginning. And I believe here, John, we, we believe that John here is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where have we heard that before? When John writes, who has been from him, who has been from the beginning. Just turn back to chapter 1. Right here in, in 1 John, turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. All right. Notice what John says when he opened his letter. What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we held, beheld, and our hands handled concerning, here's a title for Jesus, the word of life. And the life was manifested. We have seen and heard, bear witness, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. Notice, he's talking about Jesus here, and was manifested to us. 
Notice he uses that term from the beginning when he describes the deity of Christ. He's talking about Jesus. And where else did John use that that word beginning? Anybody remember? In his writings, in John's, the Apostle John's writings. Yes, the Gospel of John, we won't turn to it, but Gospel of John 1, 1. Anybody remember it? In the beginning was the, and the word was, and the word was God. Right there in opening his gospel, who's he talking about? The word, the Lord Jesus Christ, another title for him. So if you go back now, uh, here, look, look at this again. Understand that when he's speaking of, uh, to the spiritual ones in the church, he's saying basically, but you ones, you have a closer intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus himself, the one who was from the beginning. Have you ever met a, a believer who you could just sense has been in the presence of the Lord for many years maybe? That when you're around them, you almost feel like you're with Jesus when you're with them. That has happened. And, and, and you're with them. And then when they talk to you, what comes out of their mouth? They, they, they want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about what the Lord's doing in their life. And you can just tell that their, their, their spiritual growth... Um, has take them to a place of maturity and it be because it, it just flows out of them because of their intimate walk with the Lord Jesus himself. And this goes back to abiding in Christ and taking the time for us to, to get to know Jesus. And so, dear friends, I encourage you this morning, first of all, take heart because... Your sins are forgiven. Take heart because you know the Father. And many of you are growing more and more to know Christ more intimately. And getting to know him. Philippians 3. Turn to Philippians 3.8 very quickly with me. Philippians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Philippians 3.8. What does Paul say here concerning himself? Let's actually pick it up verse 7. I was just going to read 8, but verse 7 kind of sets it up. Look at verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that... I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. Paul said, knowing my Jesus... More and more is the greatest value I have on earth. To know him. There's nothing greater than drawing closer and closer to the Lord Jesus. And once, as, you know what happens? 
the more we, 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 we uh, walk with the Savior and draw close to him by spending time in God's word and then, uh, of course, in prayer and walking with him and talking with him during the day and allowing the word to, to, to get hidden in our hearts and speak to us, what happens? Jesus becomes bigger and the world, my world becomes smaller, doesn't it? Oh, that we might continue to strive to get closer to the Savior so that the world, we can say with the Apostle Paul, this is like all this stuff around here is rubbish compared to knowing him, who I'm going to be with forever and ever. So if you'll go back with me now to 1 John 2, we see that he speaks to the mature ones about the intimacy of knowing Jesus Christ. And becoming closer to him. And what a, and, and to be encouraged in that relationship. If we grasp that and strive for that. Oh, what that will do for our hearts and minds in this weary journey. Again, as we heard some. But now, the last one, the last because, is found the beginning of verse um, I'm sorry, the end of verse 13 and the end of verse 14, okay? So look at the end of verse 13 together. After he speaks about the father, the fathers. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the father. And now drop down to verse, uh, the end of verse 14. I have written to you, young men, he says it again. Because you are what? Strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And when he uses that term, young men, he's, he's referring to those that have been growing in Christ that have become strong and, and, and they're in the midst of the, of the big serious battles. Whereas the mature ones who are, he titles father, uh, the, the, the battle maybe is not as fierce as a, a believer that's been growing for an, a few years and has really gotten strong in the Lord and has, has done battle with the enemy and has overcome him. And he's encouraging the saints, and I encourage you with this last because. You know, John's writing because you and many of you here fall into this category. You are what? You are strong, verse 14. And then he says, and the word of God, what? Abides in you. And then he says twice, for you have overcome the evil one, overcoming the enemy, overcoming Satan. There's the battle. He's encouraging those that are fighting the spiritual warfare. He's saying, you're doing it. God's giving you victory. You're over, you've, you have overcome the, the, the Satan. Now, we know that Jesus overcame Satan at the cross and through his resurrection, right? So Satan is defeated. He's a defeated foe. And so what has happened? When Jesus rose from the dead, he died on the cross, rose from the dead, purchased our salvation, redeemed us, Satan lost his power. Satan completely lost his power and... 
Though he goes around like a roaring lion, we know that Jesus overcame him and overcame the world. Jesus said in John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, or King James says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that, that refers to the world as well as Satan. Jesus has overcome. Because he has overcome, I'm an overcomer. You're an overcomer. And then the Apostle Paul talks all about that, that battle and overcoming the enemy in, in Ephesians chapter 6, right? Ephesians 6, we see, we see there the, the, the armor of God. And what are we to do? Notice he says, abide in the, that you're abiding in the word. How do I become strong, continue to remain strong in my battle against Satan? And, and the enemies of God, it's if I'm abiding in the word, abiding in God's word and hiding it in my heart. And then that will give me the power through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome Satan's temptations when he comes at me. And he will continue to attack us, our minds, our bodies in some way with temptation. But we have been promised a victory. You know, some people make Satan out to be more powerful than God. You know, some Christians think that he's more powerful. And, uh, but Jesus has taken away the sting. Jesus said in Revelation, Behold, I hold the keys of death and hell. Who holds them? Not Satan, but Jesus Christ. Tommy, little Tommy, would you come up here for a second, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Would you come up here? You know, we need to respect Satan. Thanks, buddy. How are you doing today? Good. Good. That boy. So, so thanks for coming up. Tommy's going to help me with something here. All right. As we close. Um, you see, you know, we make Satan out to be, um, you know, Almighty, when he really isn't. He's lost his power if we are Christians. Now, if I'm unsaved, yes, I need to, to be absolutely living in fear of him. I want to show you something I brought with me. Let's take the white mic. Okay, white mic. All right. Tommy, now I, oh, I, brought, I brought this envelope with me. Can you hold that for a second? Now, can you read that to everybody? What does that say on top there? Rattlesnake. Rattlesnake eggs. Rattlesnake eggs. Caution. Keep in a cool place to prevent hatching. So, see, now these rattlesnake, uh, you know, it says rattlesnake eggs here as you can, you can get rattlesnake eggs. And, uh, and, and now I tried to keep this in a cool place. Okay. Um, I hope being under here, it didn't get warm. But, you know, when we, see, when we read a serpent about a serpent in the Bible, right? Who do we think of? Satan. Satan was a serpent, right? And Jesus even calls him that. So he's the, the evil one, the devil, the, the, the serpent. And uh, so a rattlesnake would remind us of, of Satan, wouldn't it? Now we have to... 
Yes, be concerned about rattlesnakes, right? Because they can, can bite us. Now, I want, I want you to absolutely see a rattlesnake uh, egg, okay? So would you take that and just, just open it for me? It should open there and just pull it out the... What? What? What happened? Did they hatch? Did they... Oh, my good... There's no rattlesnake eggs in there. Oh, it's this thing. What? I'm sorry. Did I scare you? Oh, my buddy. You were brave. You were brave to open this. Notice he wasn't even... He was so brave to open the rattlesnakes. And, and you thought they hatched, didn't you? Yes. But it, was, it wasn't real. They weren't real. They didn't hatch. But he got scared. Satan wants to do the same thing to you and me. He wants to strike fear into your heart, Christian, and get you to, to fear him and, and, and have, have our thoughts. Yeah, sorry. I thought you, you were thinking maybe I was bringing a snake around. Well, you know. but, but don't be afraid of the enemy, but respect him. And remember, we can overcome him. Give him a hand. Thank you, Tommy. You did great. You're awesome. What a, what a, what a blessed hope. Let's, let's go in the strength of the Lord. Because, because, because. Because of the wonderful things he does. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. For giving us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And Father, I pray as we continue on our spiritual journey, each one of us is at a different point in our journey. But Father, help us to hold on to these truths. And hold fast that we are forgiven. You have forgiven us. Nothing can change that. And that we have come to know you as our heavenly father. Nothing can change that. And that we have the wonderful, <coughs> wonderful blessing of coming to know your son intimately, the Lord Jesus Christ, more and more in our walk. And then finally, Lord, thank you for the promise that we have overcome the enemy because you have. And we can be strong in, the, in you, in the Lord, in the power of your might. And that we might abide in your word and thereby knowing we have victory over sin. Heavenly Father, may we, our hearts be encouraged by these truths this day. With our heads bowed and eyes closed still while we're praying. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. You never put your trust in him to save you. And you're struggling you don't know how to deal with your sin and guilt. Would you come to the cross and come to accept Jesus as your Savior? Right now, as I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And as I pray this prayer, it's a prayer of faith from your heart to God. And it's a, not a magical prayer. It doesn't save you itself. But it's your confessing to the Lord Jesus that you believe in him and accept him by faith to save you today. If you're ready to trust him to save you. Pray with me now, quietly in your heart. Re just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. 
Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead. Lord Jesus. With head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you're now a new creation. You become a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven you. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for any decisions that have been made. And thank you once again for encouraging our hearts as we continue to walk by faith, not by sight. We pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.